the aim of disinformation is often not to convince you of something, but to confuse you. Welcome to the Protect the Future podcast. I'm your host, Pilar Nalwimba. In this series, I'll be going behind the scenes at NATO headquarters to get to know the NATO experts. Together, we'll discuss global challenges that they work on from climate change, disinformation and the impacts of the war against Ukraine. I won't be doing this alone, though, as I've been speaking to young content creators along the way who've put their questions to our NATO experts. So... Join me as we explore some of the big global issues that impact our lives and influence our future. In today's episode, I'll be meeting with Awana Lungescu, a former journalist and now NATO spokesperson. Awana takes me on a tour around the NATO HQ while she shares a bit more about disinformation, NATO's stance on tackling it, as well as her own experience with disinformation. Hi, Awana. Hello, Pilar. It is a pleasure to meet you. Great to meet you. Welcome to NATO HQ. You have such a huge role here in NATO. Can you explain like, what the responsibilities are of your role? It's an important job. I have to speak on behalf of all the countries from North America and Europe that are part of the NATO alliance. Not just about the the political and the military decisions, but also about the people. This is about a big family of countries that got together to defend and protect each other. When you were a journalist at the BBC, you've gone from being on the outside of NATO, reporting on NATO, to then coming internally How was that transition for you? It's not easy. I still see myself as a journalist, but inside NATO, because a lot of what we do is also about translating some rather complicated decisions and processes and operations into simple human speak. As part of your journalism work at the BBC, you made a documentary and something that I had listened to, State Secrets. And for me, like what I got from hearing your personal story is that NATO might mean a bit more to you than just a job. Is that fair to say? Thank you for listening to the documentary. That's a documentary about me finding my secret police file because, of course, I grew up in communist Romania on a different planet, a country where we were told that we were happy and free and actually we were starving, couldn't travel anywhere. And if you dared criticize the communist regime, you would be in prison or worse. So I'm the first person born in Eastern Europe, the first woman and the first journalist in a very, very long time since NATO was created, who's in this position. So it's a real privilege to be able to be here because this is about the values that we were striving for. And it's because of the security, the peace that NATO has been able to keep for over 70 years that people can just choose to do what they want. Every time I read about the position you're in, the role you have, people do mention first woman. Does that come with an extra responsibility for you in comparison to your counterparts that had the role before? There still aren't as many women in NATO military and political structures as we would want. We need to have more women because at the end, this is about not just protecting one half of the population, it's about protecting everybody and everybody has a role to play and everybody has something to say and should be involved. Part of this 
podcast is also a big learning process, not just for me, but for a lot of our listeners as well. And you're here to help us with the topic of disinformation. What would you say in the most simplest form is disinformation? Disinformation is an attempt to make you change your mind or make you change your behavior by feeding you wrong information. Disinformation is often used as a weapon of war. But now we've seen an industrial increase in disinformation, not least with Russia's war in Ukraine. Of course, also with the proliferation of social media. It's much easier for a lie to travel on social media and to reach millions of people very quickly. But of course, it's important that we establish the facts also to do that together, because as an alliance, we pack a big punch. Together, we are half of the world's economic might, half of the world's military might. And when we speak together and we tell the truth and lay out the facts, that's very important. And of course, it's not just about facts, it's about emotion. So it's also about telling the stories behind the facts. It's really important that we are first out with our story. It's not just about rebutting what other people say about us. It's about us being confident in what we are doing, why we are doing, why we are a defensive alliance, keeping one billion people safe on both sides of the Atlantic, and how we are determined to continue doing that. We've seen the news and media landscape constantly change with the rise of the internet and social media platforms. Would you say that NATO's approach to targeting disinformation has changed to keep up with the times? With Russia's legal annexation of Crimea, back in 2014, we were focusing very much on debunking disinformation. We set up a portal on our website, you can check it out, it's called NATO Russia Setting the Record Straight, where we set out the main false narratives, the main lies that Russia kept spreading about NATO. So trying to debunk those lies. The next stop in my visit around the NATO headquarters was to Awana's office to talk to her a little bit more about her personal experience of disinformation. What would you say, outside of the invasion in Ukraine, what has been the biggest case of disinformation you have had to do whilst in this role? Stories don't change that much. They're quite consistent. Now we see it with Russia's invasion of Ukraine, an increasing alignment between Russian disinformation and Chinese disinformation. That is a new trend, which of course is something that we are watching quite closely. What are like the key differences you would say between mm. disinformation and misinformation? Misinformation tends to be not deliberate. So sometimes people just don't know, but would still spread some incorrect information because they think it's true. It may resonate with their own biases. The aim of disinformation is often not to convince you of something, but to confuse you. That is exactly the aim, for instance, of Russian disinformation. That is to undermine the trust that citizens may have in their own institutions, in their own leaders, in their own democracies, in their own armed forces, and to prevent them from coming to any decision or any action. You mentioned misinformation, that it's not done deliberately. I've actually dealt with it in my own family mm. during the COVID crisis. My mum's very, she doesn't use social media, but she lives on WhatsApp. 
And during COVID, when it was time to get people vaccinated, my mum was being spread all kinds of things that were just going as chains on WhatsApp. And what I had to do is go and find webinars that were being hosted by reputable doctors that explained what COVID is, explained COVID is real, explained why it's important to take a vaccine, not only to protect yourself, but to protect others. Did you convince your mum? Yes. Well done. <laughs> but I think what you said is exactly the right, the right thing to do. And we've actually published some top tips on how to deal with this information. Some of the top tips are check your sources. Is this from an authoritative source or is it just from a friend of a friend? Check the tone because disinformation thrives on fear and anger. So outside of work and your role here at NATO, have you ever encountered disinformation in your personal life? Absolutely. Actually, I grew up in a world of disinformation. I remember I used to listen to foreign radio stations like the BBC World Service or Voice of America, literally under the bed cover, because I was afraid that neighbours would hear and report me to the secret police. For us, was the only way to find out the truth, to find out the facts of what was going on, not just in the outside world, but in our own country. If anybody dared to criticise the leader, then you would be in prison or worse. Is that your hope then, that in terms of countries that are being suppressed, where they don't have access to alternative information, is that your hope that they have that curiosity that you once had? Yes, it's not just about curiosity, but to be able to explore other ways of finding out what's going on. But that's why it's also so important that the countries that believe in democracy support others across the world to have access to facts, to correct information, including about NATO. So younger you is proud of you now. Yeah, and, and rather amazed. <laughs> So I've got a question here that came in from Ben Wheeler. He's a US-based TikTok political commentator. How can European democracies effectively police disinformation? Is there a risk that by trying to combat disinformation, we end up bringing more awareness to it? Yeah, I think it's really important to make sure that by myth-busting or debunking a certain piece of disinformation, you don't give it more legs. Because Russia, but also others, will just try little test balloons. You know, let, let's try this slide. Because at the end of the day, what our adversaries want us to do is to spend a lot of time on what they are saying about us rather than in telling our own stories. So it's like a distraction strategy. Basically. Absolutely. So we did something we had never done before, and that is to declassify, so make public a lot of classified secret intelligence, information that we had about Russia's plans to invade Ukraine. And we started doing that months before we saw the tanks rolling because we wanted to prepare our publics for the inevitable Russian story that, no, no, it's not us. We have no intention of invading Ukraine. It's the Ukrainians that are attacking us. It's NATO that's attacking us. So that was something that we have done to try to pre-bunk rather than to debunk because an informed citizen at the end of the day is less likely to believe a lie. So quite a lot of Awana's time is spent in the press room and she kindly agrees to give me a tour. This is where she addresses journalists and hosts the who's who of world leaders. What 
stages do you take as soon as a situation lands on your desk? Well, it's about understanding and engaging. So first, we need to understand what's going on. Also, is this something that's getting traction? Do we need to worry about it? Because there's so much out there that we can't spend all our time just pushing back on this information. And then we engage also by coordinating first with the people who are closest to the story. It's much better if somebody, say, in Lithuania, if this happens in Lithuania, comes out, they're much more authoritative than somebody in NATO HQ in Brussels. And then we also coordinate with other organizations such as the European Union, the G7, so that we all have the same understanding of what's going on, because they may see something very similar. And then engaging also with our citizens, telling it like it is. And that's why, you know, we're here in the NATO press theater. And this is a place which is really important to engage with the media because media has a key role asking all of us the tough questions, checking their facts, checking their sources. That is a very, very powerful tool in the fight against disinformation. But perhaps the most powerful are citizens themselves. The more I've been learning about disinformation, the easier it has become for me to spot it, especially when I see it happening on social media. And even though we're talking about it in the context of the pandemic and in terms of conflict, it literally happens in every aspect of our lives. Even the likes of pop culture and politics are rife with disinformation. How would you recommend people fact check the information that they're getting? Look at the source first. Is it a reputable news organization? There's lots of them out there. Do you see it anywhere else? Because if you just see it on TikTok, but not on any of the reputable news sources, then it's most likely not to be true. And then if it is about fueling anger or fear, if it's like clickbait, then you need to be really careful about it and think before you amplify. What would you say is the differences between the role media plays in fueling disinformation and the role social media sites play in fueling disinformation? Social media sites are also good platforms for reputable news sources. I often look at Twitter because, of course, that's where a lot of news breaks, but also others. We look at all these sources and we see that a lot of media organizations now have their own in-house fact-checking We've got a question in from Tina Gordina. She's an Olympic beach volleyball player from Latvia. And alongside her busy training schedule, she's also pursuing a master's in communications. She's really interested to hear a bit more about the future of the industry and how people in her position can get a bit more involved. Hello, a question that I wanted to ask you is, what do you think will be the biggest challenge for communications in the next five years? And how can budding journalists help on this? I think the biggest challenge for us as NATO is to make sure that we all stand united because this is a world where everybody is in their own echo chamber. There's a lot of division. So it's about making sure that you're not just speaking on your own, but try to rally to create communities and to engage people on the things that really matter at the end of the day. Because if we don't have peace, if we don't have security, then nothing else can be done. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much.
And that's it for this episode of the Protect the Future podcast. Thank you for joining me as we discovered more about disinformation and how NATO is responding to it. I hope that you took something away from today's episode because I certainly have had my eyes opened to how information can shape the societies that we're living in. And I think it's fair to say that we all need to get a little bit more comfortable with fact-checking the news we're consuming and challenging those social media echo chambers. We can continue this over on Twitter. You can find me on at Pillar of Society. We can use the hashtag Protect the Future. And if you enjoyed this conversation, then please take a moment to leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And I'll be back for the next episode where I get to sit down with Baiba Brage at the NATO HQ. We're going to be discussing the war against Ukraine, NATO's stance on the war, and how the impacts of this war are being felt globally. 